This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, it's David Common here in for Pia Chattopadhyay. Every Wednesday, we bring you a bonus podcast, one hand-picked story from the week's round of the Sunday magazine that we think is worth hearing. Of course, you can hear all our stories on the full podcast we put out on Sunday and on the CBC Listen app. All right, here's this week's highlight. John Ronson has made a career out of questioning conventional wisdom through books, reporting, and podcasts. The journalist has surveyed everything from people who've been publicly shamed to the American military's exploration of paranormal tools, even the porn industry. His latest work continues that trend in a podcast from the BBC called Things Fell Apart which delves into the culture wars creating division in society today. For its latest season, John focuses on some of the fringe narratives that emerged during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns. And John Ronson joins me today to chat all about it. John, welcome to the Sunday Magazine. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Well, we're very glad to have you. And I I use the words culture wars there. We hear so much about it. But what does it mean to you? I think it's pretty much all of the conflicts that engulf us today, all of the things that we yell about uh, or yell at each other about on social media that don't involve economics. So every conflict that isn't about money, I think, is the definition of, of a culture war. That's a pretty big definition. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that it doesn't involve economics, I think, is interesting in itself, because quite often I think that, that the rich are stoking the culture wars with their algorithms and so on, while uh, in a kind of bread and circuses way, a kind of opium of the people way, while they get richer, we're yelling at each other about whatever culture war is, is, you know, important to us. Yeah, if inequality is exacerbating it, then money is part of culture war, as it turns out. Right. Uh, Yeah, I think we're, I think we're, dupes. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think they love it. I think they love it when we yell at each other about everything from, you know, and it's been happening since the 70s, there's the satanic panic, uh, now it's COVID conspiracies, it's Antifa, um, and so on. But yeah, and, and they just get richer and richer. The COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, of course, turned the world upside down in so many ways. And you have used that period is a vehicle to explore the culture wars. Tell me about that. Right. Well, in season one of Things Fell Apart, I was tracing the origin stories of of the culture wars from the 60s through to lockdown. Uh, So in season two, I decided to look at lockdown. And it turns out kind of extraordinarily that after six weeks of compliance in May 2020, People just went crazy. We we grew suspicious of our neighbours and our institutions. We were like coiled springs sitting at home with the internet for company. And almost every culture war that consumes us today 
all blew up within about 20 days of each other in May 2020. So that's from COVID conspiracies. The murder of George Floyd happened uh, in that period. And, and Antifa and, a, and a, a, a Ron DeSantis and all of these things happened in a short period of time. So, in season, so season one is 50 years of the culture wars and season two is 20 days of it. Yeah, that's quite something. And of course, in those 50 years, in those years leading up to it, that so much came to influence our response to COVID, our responses to each other during COVID. You explore that in um, this second season. And I want to play a clip from the episode that's called We're Coming For You, Honey. I was put in the suicide watch wing. They do everything they can to do their little body cavity searches and humiliate you. For exposing their deadly secrets, the minions of Big Pharma waged war on Dr. Mikovits, destroying her good name, career, and personal life. Now, as the fate of nations hang in the balance, Dr. Mikovits is naming names of those behind the plague of corruption that places all human life in danger. This is filmmaker Mickey Willis interviewing Judy for his documentary, Plandemic, The Hidden Agenda Behind COVID-19. I imagine these people stand to make hundreds of billions of dollars that own the vaccines. And they'll kill millions, as they already have with their vaccines. I want to get you to explain the fascinating backstory of Judy Mikovits. It's it's an incredible story and so pertinent to the whole reason why I wanted to make things fell apart to begin with. Uh, Judy Mikovits was a cancer researcher uh, for years, gave it all up for love, moved to California, began volunteering at her local yacht club. Uh, and to cut a long story short, she hooked up with a very wealthy couple called the Whittemores, whose daughter was very sick with chronic fatigue syndrome. And together, they set up an institute to try and find the cause and treatment for chronic fatigue syndrome. And after a couple of years, Judy announced um, that she'd done it. she discovered the cause of it. And it was a little-known mouse virus called XMRV. And Science magazine published her findings, which is like hitting the jackpot in the, in the science world. And it was a sensation. This is the mid-2000s. It was a sensation. And, and all these other scientists then tried to replicate Judy's findings and couldn't. Um, and so Judy doubled down uh, and then tripled down. Her institutes were asking us to hand over her, her research materials so they could double-check the findings. And Judy was said, no, I'm not going to do it. And now she's in conflict with her employers. And, and she goes on the run and she's hiding out on a boat. And now the police are after her as a fugitive from justice. And, uh, and as somebody who stole her own note, books from the, or she got her colleagues stole her notebooks from the laboratory and scientists on the phone saying you've got to retract your findings. Uh, and this was very important because Judy's findings were that millions of people were walking around with this mouse virus asymptomatically giving each other chronic fatigue syndrome. Anyway, the whole thing was a, was an utter mess. Judy ended up going to jail uh, for five days and admitted finally that, that her findings were flawed, disappeared. And when she disappeared, I think there's certain personality types that if they're wounded, 
they can't recover. They can't get over it. So they just lash out and lash out and lash out. And you see this happening on social media all the time with culture war thought leaders um, who are perhaps narcissistically inclined and they can't get over the wound. And so instead they just continually lash out. And Judy reappears six weeks into lockdown with this documentary, Plandemic, which feels very much to me like her way of getting revenge on the medical community. Um, So Judy's desire for revenge is what set off um, pretty much the entire COVID hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy, what you're living through isn't what you think it is. It's like tens of millions of people were beguiled by this documentary made by a woman who was wounded and wanted to lash out. It's fascinating just talking to you about the the wanting to lash out because Judy may be one example of that, but uh, you have a presidential race going on in the United States right now, and we certainly see a lot of that from from various candidates and, and their proxies. But these are ideas that at one time would have been just dismissed. Oh, that's fringe, crazy, forget about it. 2024, not anymore. I know, it's crazy. I first noticed it 25 years ago or more. Uh, I snuck into this secret club in Northern California with a then unknown conspiracy theorist called Alex Jones. Cut to 2016 and suddenly Donald Trump's appearing on Alex Jones's show. It's like all of these nascent things uh, that, that I covered in, in the 90s and the early 2000s have proliferated and now dominate society. And as you see, there's people like Judy Mikovits all over the place now who are, who are lashing out at the, at the algorithms, uh, luring people to this lashing out and making people more and more like extreme caricatures of themselves, defining themselves as being in opposition to other people. And these culture wars explode and, and people die. And there are implications. I mean, I just think about everything around the COVID vaccine itself. I mean, we look at the uptake of the COVID vaccine now, and it's certainly in Canada. um, It has gone from very high rates to not as high rates. I sit there and I wonder, has... Have those conspiracy theories moved their way through the population and just created even greater mistrust of uh, the pharmaceutical industry, of medicine, of all things, and that people who might not themselves um, think that they are conspiratorial are now seeing things differently? Sure. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this who feel that way about vaccines will say you can't lay the blame on us and our paranoia. Uh, Conspiracy theories tend to explode when our elites behave in conspiratorial ways. So, so sure, you know, elites need to make sure that, that they're behaving as rationally as possible, too. Yeah, absolutely. If if you don't want people to think in a conspiratorial way, they there can't be conspiracies. And and there are. They may not always be about COVID or about vaccines, but there are vac- there are conspiracies. Sure, groups meet in, meet in secret. In my book, them, I got you know I snuck into Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones and got chased away by the Bilderberg Group through the through port through the streets of Portugal. And and uh, yeah, these these self selecting secretive groups really do exist. Yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm always a little, you know, reluctant to lay all the blame on the 
on the paranoid fringes. And in fact, one of the reasons why I like telling these stories is because I think it's quite often, you know, fun and interesting to stand with them as they glare back at us, because sometimes we get to learn more about our world that way. Absolutely. Um, to the podcast, who's another person you interviewed who really stuck with you? Um, well, well, the most moving episode for me of the two seasons was season one of Things Fell Apart. So every story in Things Fell Apart is an origin story of a culture war, like a tiny little moment that then, uh, you know, a pebble thrown in the pond that caused mayhem changed society. But there's one episode in season one called A Miracle, which is the opposite of that. It's about how two warring factions came together. And it was a, a man called Steve Peters, who was a pastor with full-blown AIDS, who went on the Tabby Faye Baker uh, afternoon chat show, Tabby's House Party. Uh, she wanted somebody on who had AIDS because she was feeling that her televangelist peer group was too homophobic. And the most extraordinary conversation happened between the two of them where, where Steve just did the most wonderful job. I called the show a miracle, partly because he was so miraculously good on that show and also because... He didn't die. Um, he, he became the oldest surviving person with full-blown AIDS in the world. And I interviewed him in, in the show. And it was just so moving. It makes me think that people are sick of culture wars because the number of calls and emails I had after that episode went out when people said they were they had to pull over the car because they were crying so hard in the car it makes me think that people are actually yearning for connection. Mm-hmm. Um but there's other stories in season two of Things Fell Apart. There's an extraordinary story about this family who escaped lockdown when the lockdown rules were uh, lessened in their state, uh, Washington state. They were Twilight fans. So they started to, they decided to go on a Twilight camping trip to Forks, Washington. Um, and as soon as they pull into this tiny forest town in Forks, people start following them with guns and are like flipping them the finger on the side of the road and, you know, questioning them, what are you doing in our town? And this family, just, we're just trying to go camping and this poor family, they get barricaded into this campground um, in the middle of the forests, uh, chainsaws, shotguns, um, loads of people following them, like circling them, almost like one of those old westerns and it turned out that the reason why was because word had got around town uh, because of our unbelievably polarized media that this family was antifa and were out to destroy the town uh, so that's one of the episodes of season two i then try and figure out well what happened to make this town convinced that this family was antifa that is a wild story you're listening to The Sunday Magazine. I'm David Common, sitting in for Pia Chattopadhyay, and I'm speaking with journalist John Ronson. His latest podcast for the BBC is called Things Fell Apart, and it explores the culture wars as they manifested during the pandemic. Uh, John, we were talking about this a bit earlier, but you seem to approach the people you profile in this podcast with a lot of empathy, um, and I think that is broadly true of your past work. Why do you take that tact when you speak with someone like, you know, for instance, Alex Jones uh, or one of the men arrested for plotting to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan? Sure. And I'd like to say that I hope that, you know, the empathy and the curiosity and so on that I display doesn't make me a dupe. Like when I'm back home, I try and get the morality right by the time the story is, is finished. But I also feel that when you 
approach somebody with with instant judgment mm-hmm. uh, not only is it kind of hierarchical and i'm always a little bit suspicious of people like us in the mainstream media who go into a situation as the representatives of righteous society it's you know that kind of hierarchical journalism always feels a little performative to me Absolutely. but mainly yeah but mainly it's because i think if you take judgment out of your head there's room for curiosity. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm I, I'm happy for the compliment that, that I'm empathetic, but I think what I'm, I'm more than that is is just curious. I, I I want to meet people where they are. I want to try and see the world from their eyes. I guess that is probably what empathy is. Um, but yeah, and I just think it makes for better storytelling as as, as long and and you know better twists and turns and it and it pulls the rug from underneath the listeners or the readers sometimes. And and as I say, you know the there is a downside to that, which is you can give people who do bad things an easy ride. But I really hope that if you're just aware of that pitfall, you can avoid it. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I, you know, um, in this job, I, I talk to people and some people don't like it when we talk to those people. But I, I always think conversation is best. That The idea of letting the drawbridge down is better than keeping it up. I think so. And and also, there's some kind of evidence, actually, that deplatforming, you know, this this um, platforming versus deplatforming argument's been raging for a while now. And I, I keep up with Alex Jones, because I was pretty much the first person ever to interview him. And, and it came out in the hearings about how he was... His, he and his listeners were hounding the parents of children killed in the Sandy Hook school shooting. It came out that after he was deplatformed, um, he made more money. After he was off of YouTube and and so on, he got richer. And you and you see, and, and Naomi Klein writes about this a, a little in in Doppelganger too. You know, when we expel somebody for the community, when we deplatform someone, they don't dissolve. Mm. You know, they, they go to rumble and make even more money and create a world of even worse, more nefarious echo chambers. And conspiracy theories, of course, are just so pervasive. Um, many of us have seen it in our family and our friends or our Facebook feeds. People that we maybe thought wouldn't go down that path, down that path. And I wonder, because you have spent so much of your recent career looking at them, do you ever worry that you'll be seduced by them? Uh, <laughs> I quite I quite like being seduced by things when I'm out in the field. I, I, I often feel that um, uh, non-fiction writers should have all the ambition of novelists. And if I'm a character in one of my own books, I should go through a life-changing experience and see the world in a completely different way. But then one hopes that when you're back at home with all the material, you can then pull yourself out of the rabbit hole. But a lot of people these days seem unable to pull themselves out of rabbit holes. And it's it's for me, it's the biggest mystery of our time. Like, why are so many people, you know, smart people like Judy Mikovits, who we talked about earlier, yeah, succumbing. And for me, that's such a fascinating area. And I think some of it's to do with addiction. I think a lot of it's to do with narcissism that it, if you're wounded, you just lash out. And also, if you're narcissistically inclined, the truth doesn't really matter as much to you as it does to other people. Uh, and I think the algorithms have a lot to do with it. I think the tech the tech giants are, well, I say they're loving all of this. I mean, things aren't going that well on Twitter these days. So I think it's a combination of, of a lot of those things. Yeah, you talk about truth, and uh, I, I find it an imperfect term, but a lot of people talk about us being in the, the post-truth era, 
Um, there's all sorts of reasons not to like that term, but uh, what, what do you mean when you use that kind of term? Well, I mean, it, it worries me a lot. I, I think factual truth is incredibly important. And if people take less stock in it than they ought to, I, th I think society is in deep, deep trouble. I, if, I don't want to be too, like, broad, but I think on the right, I think the right do these big, baroque, almost kind of mythological lies, like Pizzagate and QAnon and so on, you know, these huge balls-out lies. I think on the left, sometimes on the ideological left, it's a different kind of untruth. It's a, it's more subtle. It's more to do with confirmation bias. Like if we want a certain type of person to be a hero of our story, then we filter out the stuff um, that doesn't correspond with this, you know, our, our sort of magical thinking about ideology and so on. So I think the problem is really on both ends of the spectrum. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, different ways of telling untruths. I think activist journalism has done a, an awful lot of good, but I think it comes at a, at a cost. And I think the cost is, is we sometimes flatten inconvenient truths. What is the, the cost now on societies like Canada, the US, the UK? I mean, right now things look desperate and... and uh, right, you know, people are having to learn to use their brains in completely different ways. Um, you know, especially with AI and so on, we have to learn to not trust anything anymore. And thus far, it seems to be working kind of okay on, let's say, Twitter. That if if some huge lie spreads, then there's a community note, and people are saying, no, 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 that's AI, that's that's nonsense. But how long that lasts, I don't know. I mean, AI is getting so incredibly good. I saw the other day on my Instagram feed, Taylor Swift tried to sell some kind of non-stick frying pan. And it was so real. I, I, it took me a while to realise, well, of course, that's not Taylor Swift. That's, that's AI. Um, so it does. It, yeah, it, I think it's, a, it's, it's genuinely concerning. We have to hold on to truth. I end season two of Things Fell Apart with a kind of plea of that we should hold on to truth like driftwood in the ocean, because if not, we'll, we'll drown. Well, and humanity and our societies have, through the eras, been tested and come out the other side, and, and sometimes at enormous cost. If we are in such a moment now, in this post-truth era, will we come out of it? I mean, one certainly hopes so. Yeah, I, I gave a talk to a bunch of disinformation people at a conference in Belgium last year and I was quite optimistic saying you know we're quite good at adapting you know these these as as long as we can trust our disinformation people for being completely unbiased and completely unaligned obviously on the right they think that people you know groups like Snopes are biased towards the left and I think it, that's, it, that would, if that was true, it would be a disaster. Factual truth is factual truth, wherever you are ideologically. So, you know, right now, I think we do seem to be handling it in the way that you said, you know, we're, we're adapting. But, uh, you know, if, if, if we succumb, if we fall, we're in deep, deep trouble. Well, we have to say one thing that's positive now. <laughs> Where is hope? <laughs> Well, I spoke earlier about my episode of Things Fell Apart, A Miracle, which is about two warring factions coming together and how moving that was to people. 
and how much people felt like they wanted it. So I think deep down, you know, when we're outside the horrific echo chamber of Twitter and so on, I think people do want connection. And and I live in a little village in upstate New York where it's very mixed. You have 50% Trump, 50% Biden. And, you know, there isn't fighting on the streets. We all go to the bar and in town and everybody drinks and everybody's nice to each other. If a dog escapes we're all running up the road together trying to rescue the dog so i'm hoping that if we don't succumb to these you know, these culture warrior leaders these men's rights gurus these tech utopians you know if we remember our own humanity then yeah you know, I, th- I i think peace is what people want deep down john ronson thank you thank you david john ronson is the host of the bbc podcast things fell apart And you can find all the stories we bring you each week on the Sunday Magazine over on our website, cbc.ca slash Sunday. I'm David Common. Thanks so much for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.